This podcast is made possible by Host Analytics and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Jack Walsh, CFO of Appian, and you are listening to CFO Thought Leader. This is episode 306. So getting out into the field and spending time with clients, having conversations with them, uh, spending more time uh, with our sales team during the sale process to hear about um, what sort of things uh, they're hearing from our distribution channels, from the prospects and clients that they're talking to, uh, has gotten me, I think, even more closely aligned with uh, kind of the, the market dynamics that we're seeing, which provides greater visibility and greater input into our overall financial model. And, and so I think the, the cycle is it really feeds back into the planning process for us. Um, under, under my purview, if you will, uh, really helped me get even closer to the client. From the Middle Market Executive Digital Network, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. In this episode, we speak to Ron Shaw, CFO of Hodges Mace, who explains how he's gone about expanding his role as a finance leader. We also revisit with Ron his finance leader priorities from 12 months back. Did he achieve each and every one? Find out after these words from our sponsor. It's no secret finance professionals are dealing with some pretty complex problems these days. Now more than ever, they need tools that can help them streamline complex workflows and focus on bigger strategic issues. By bringing your finance organization together on a single cloud platform, Host Analytics automates everyday processes that would otherwise slow you down. By streamlining your planning, modeling, consolidation, reporting, and analytics, Host helps you connect your organization so you can react more quickly to changing conditions and make better business decisions to optimize performance. Let Host Analytics be your partner in leading the evolution of your business. Hello, we're speaking to Ron Shaw, CFO of Hodges Mace. Ron, welcome. Thank you, Jack. Glad to be here. Yes, well, welcome back, Ron. It's been about a year uh, since we last spoke to you. And as you know, we like to frequently ask our finance leader guests, what are their priorities for the coming 12 months? And you were generous enough to share yours with us. And I thought that might be where we begin. Uh, last time, uh, you told us one of your priorities was to advance deeper into the operations side of things and broaden your role. And um, we understand you today, uh, over the last 12 months, you've added client services uh, to your role, as well as you, you oversee the uh, company's call center operations today. So am I right? It appears uh, your priorities are, are being realized. 
Yeah, so Jack, first of all, I can't believe it's been a year since since we last spoke. Time does fly. Um, and a lot has changed here at Hodges Mace over the past few years. We've continued to grow as an organization. And one of the things we did uh, a little bit over a year ago is uh, added some additional responsibilities for me on the operational side of the business, uh, specifically, as you mentioned, taking on leadership of the client services and call center operations for us. And I was excited to do that. It gave me an opportunity to expand uh, my my knowledge and my skill set. Obviously, in the finance role, I was working very closely with all the different areas of the company um, to measure the uh, measure the operational effectiveness, uh, getting input from the different departments on client satisfaction and what areas of, uh, of the business were growing, where there was market demand, where there were things we needed to maybe adjust to try and take that input and build it into the financial model for the company, whether it was pricing related or, or long-term investments in personnel or systems that we wanted to make and bringing those areas um, under under my purview, if you will, uh, really helped me get even closer to the client. So getting out into the field and spending time with clients, having conversations with them, uh, spending more time uh, with our sales team during the sale process to hear about um, what sort of things uh, they're hearing from our distribution channels, from the prospects and clients that they're talking to, uh, has gotten me, I think, even more closely aligned with uh, kind of the, the market dynamics that we're seeing, which provides greater visibility and greater input into our overall financial model. And, and so I think the, the cycle is it really feeds back into the planning process for us um, as we think about not just the budget for this year, but sort of the, the intermediate and longer range forecast and the directions we want to take the company. And so one of the, the areas that, that I'd highlight is um, we put out a press release about a month ago related to a new product offering um, that we introduced called SmartVend Now, which is a uh, digital dashboard and, and mobile app um, to help our clients and their employees manage all of their benefit information in one place. And that came through conversations that, uh, that a lot of us within uh, the organization were having with clients, and, and we sort of took that feedback and started the product development process and then had conversations with clients as we were going through the development cycle. But uh, being involved early on in that process helped with the planning from a financial standpoint of what sort of investment we would need to make what sort of pricing we, we thought we could introduce to the marketplace and, and building out the business case and the ROI case for uh, really developing and, and launching that new product to the market. I think your story really speaks uh, to the world of finance executives as a whole, where so many accomplished people are today trying to tap in uh, to new ways to bring value to their companies. And what I want to bring out here is that when we last spoke, it seemed to me you were already playing this role or a piece of it anyway on the operations side, but it was informal. And, and that's my point. Before these roles get officially sanctioned, very often we find finance leaders playing 
them informally. A- am I right, or, or would you d- disagree? Yeah, you're you're exactly right, Jack. I, I think I had been informally doing some of those things uh, already, and and so this was really uh, maybe formalizing. Uh, some of those activities, and then from an organizational structure standpoint, uh, making it you know more official and, and drawing clearer lines of responsibility uh, on, on the org chart. Could you maybe tell us a little more about your experience and how you went about broadening your role? I find uh, firsthand accounts very helpful. I'm certain our listeners. Uh, will as well. And I like to be reassured that I'm dealing in reality here, as always. No, you're, you're dealing in reality. And so it started with uh, just conversations, right? So when I joined the company, I, I was fortunate in that um, our co-CEOs were, were very supportive of me you know, getting out from behind the, the spreadsheets, if you will. And um, and getting involved with leaders in other parts of the organization and asking questions. And um, I think there's a perception sometimes that finance is, uh, is primarily focused on cost cutting or how do I find efficiency and I want to reduce expenses and things like that. And I think the approach to the conversations that, that I took was, was really more about it kind of satisfying my intellectual curiosity, learning more about, uh, what was going on in the marketplace with our clients and um, and with our competitors and and taking that information and, and sort of as as you mentioned Jack uh, you know feeding it back into the the financial uh, infrastructure that, that we had and so I built those relationships uh, throughout the organization and then over time you know as, as those conversations got deeper um, and broader there wasn't there wasn't maybe the the concern about well why is ron asking these questions um what's what's he getting at uh, i think people got comfortable with you know i, I just i, I want to get involved in other parts of the business i think it's fun to i've always had i feel like uh, uh an operational bent to me um and, and so i think it's fun to to get involved in, in some of those conversations and understand how we implement a new client and um, what is it, what are, what are areas where, you know, clients are happy with what we're doing or, or maybe are, are asking us to do more things. And so what started as maybe me taking really what was uh, sort of a exercise in, in trying to understand the business a little bit better when I first joined the company to then, expanding that into just under, uh, maybe understanding a little bit more about the, the overall marketplace and, and uh, what clients are looking for to more of a hands-on sort of approach with the client services and call center operations. So um, it, it evolved over time, over, you know, a four-and-a-half, five-year period. It's not like it happened overnight. Um, there, there wasn't necessarily a plan at the beginning that this is how it was going to evolve, but over time it just made sense because as I got more involved in, in some of these areas, um, you know, it was sort of a natural progression. Can we, and we, I think we asked you this last time, but it's always worth uh, checking in with you to see if you're measuring uh, the customer experience in new and different ways. 
And clearly, we're touching on the uh, customer experience uh, with this broadened role that you have. Um, what what are the metrics today that you rely on? Measure. The yeah, the the the, pri- the primary ones. Uh, so we're we're big on surveys. So we do a lot of uh, a lot of client surveys, um, uh, both for our employer clients, and then a lot of the services we provide are to our clients' employees. And so when we're implementing a new client. We're doing surveys. We do a survey uh, mid-implementation, and then at the end of implementation, uh, we do a- annual surveys of client satisfaction where they're rating um, their, their experience with us. And then for the employees, specifically on the call center side, when uh, they call in to speak with uh, with one of our representatives in the call center, we're, uh, we're get- grabbing surveys from them at the end of the call as well uh, and, and really target the questions around the customer experience. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the questions that, that we have at the end of the survey at the call center is uh, we ask the, the person on the other end if they were running a customer service organization, whether they would hire the person they just spoke with um, to be a part of that customer service organization because that's, you know, in our view, the ultimate test. If you were running a customer service organization, is the person that you just talked to someone you would want on your team? And we get high high marks from uh, folks, but that's uh, th- those are, are metrics that we're tracking on a weekly and, and monthly and quarterly basis. Uh, and then on the financial side, uh, customer retention um, and uh, measurement. And, and when we track retention, we, we track it a couple different ways. So there's tracking the actual number of customers that we're retaining on an annual basis. And then there's the net revenue retention that, that we track. And, and why that second piece is important is it, uh, it builds in the cross-sell and upsell opportunities. So we have a number of products and services that we offer to clients and most clients don't, on day one, purchase the, the full suite from us. They may start with one or two products or services, and then over time are going to add additional things um, as they get more comfortable with us, as their needs change. Uh, and, and so tracking the, the net revenue retention allows us to, to track when they're purchasing additional products and, and services, and we see the revenue or our share of wallet grow with those clients. Over the past year, you've also uh, added a new uh, credit facility. Uh, can you share with us uh, why the facility was of uh, strategic importance to the firm? And, uh, you know, what role did uh, you perhaps play in influencing some of the decision-making behind the scenes as far as making the facility a priority this, this last 12 months? Yeah, we, we had been talking about it for um... – for a couple of years, actually. So um, this is another uh, another area where um, it took some time and, and evolved. But the reason we decided to put in place the, the credit facility at the end of last year uh, was really to have a more efficient capital structure. So based on our growth profile and, and profitability, um, you know, we were carrying no leverage on uh, on the balance sheet and as you know, and a lot of listeners to the podcast in the finance area will know, that's just an inefficient capital structure. The cost of equity is significantly higher than the cost of debt. And um, and so uh, the first thing we wanted to do was put in place a more efficient capital structure and bring down our overall cost of capital. 
The second thing was um, it, it also just helps us from uh, from a discipline standpoint. And, and so um, I, I view that more as sort of a not the reason we did it, but but a benefit that that we get out of it. Um, and, and it may sound a little bit a little bit strange to to some people that are listening to this. Like, well, why would you, you know, maybe it creates more stress to have leverage on the balance sheet. But we did, we did not over-lever the balance sheet. It's, it's conservatively financed. But now, in addition to, um, you know, our shareholders and the board that we're reporting to, we have some lenders that we need to report to. And, and it forces some additional just discipline in, in how we think about the business, the planning that we do, and, and um, and how we invest capital that um, just I think makes us better as an organization. So, um, but but again, the primary reason really goes back to cost of capital and, and making sure we had an efficient capital structure in place for the business. Okay, well, there's one other priority that you shared with us last time that I wouldn't be. Uh, uh, surprised if it's still a work in progress. Uh, 12 months isn't all that long a time. Here's what you shared with us last time. For the finance team, I would say my biggest priority is to de- develop a more dynamic forecasting process. The, um, the days where you developed a, a budget and, and that's all you operated off of for the full year or you developed a three-year plan or a five-year plan, I think those days are gone. We've, we've got to be much more dynamic in how we update the forecast for the full year, for the next 12 months, for the next couple of years, and be able to do that without it being a, a manual process. And, and there's some things we can do from a system standpoint that we're looking at and in investing in, in new systems, as well as some things we'll look at um, adjusting from a process standpoint. Okay. Now, again, this was one of a number of initiatives you identified as a priority for us last year. And, of course, when it comes to 12-month windows, uh, you seem to have accomplished quite a bit, Ron. But uh, am I correct in assuming a dynamic forecast uh, may take some extra time? May You may look into the future still on this one. I will say that we have not made as much progress as I would like to. So as we think about the different priorities, and, and you're right, that, that is something that when we spoke a year ago was, was high on my list of things to do. I think based on some of the things that we've talked about, um, the, you know, areas where I've gotten more involved on the operational side, the credit facility, things like that, that unfortunately um, – uh, had to move down the list a little bit. So that's um, something we're revisiting this year. And uh, my hope is uh, when we talk again that, that I'll be able to report more progress on that. But so far that's um, that's still a relatively manual process for us in an area that I know we need to get better at. Now, as you began to mention there, uh, there are several pieces to executing a, a dynamic forecast, including uh, modifying your internal processes to some extent and perhaps uh, adopting some new technologies. Yeah, I, I think technology will help tremendously in that area. So there are, there are some different applications. And, and so we, we've focused more on probably operational improvements 
um, and, and process improvements related to just sort of the core accounting functions and reporting functions that we have over the past year um, and, uh, and not move forward with the evaluation and implementation process on, on the technology solutions related to the, the forecasting process. And, um, and so as a result of that, you know, we're still doing a lot of the forecast updates in Excel spreadsheets and, um, and you know, going through and, and having to, we, we've tried to make the sh uh, those models as dynamic as possible, but there's a fair amount of manual manipulation that needs to be done. Um, and so we, we have a quarterly process that we go through to update forecasts, and um, it, it takes several weeks to, to get through, and, and we really need to shorten that time uh, the, that cycle down from several weeks to, to a couple days and and do it more frequently than quarterly um, and have the, you know the, the phrase used you used is dynamic uh, forecasts and, and that's where we want to get to um, and and there will be a technology uh, application uh, that, that's a part of that solution to get there Thought Leader listeners don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Hey, hey, Ron, are you brave enough to share your next 12, your priorities over the next 12 months? What might be among those? Yeah, so, um, uh, well, one of the things that, that we didn't accomplish over the last 12 months that we just talked about um, around the forecasting process is absolutely uh, a priority for the next 12 months. So I, I would put that at the top of the list. And then I, I think for, for us um, organizationally, I think there's, uh, there's some areas uh, on the client services side, specifically within the call center um, and, and our account management structure that as I've, um, as I've gotten more involved in those areas, where I think we want to look at realigning um, the client experience. So we've, in the past, had very segmented teams that that were more product specific, versus a, when a client uh, purchased multiple products or services, having um, a single point of contact. So I think we're uh, working through some cross training efforts with our client services team to uh, provide an individual um, or, or a team that's cross-trained across multiple products versus having separate product teams support each of their initiatives and, and the client having uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of different points of contact within the organization. So I think on the client services side, the, the client experience, I think what we've learned is we can, we can improve that through some cross-training efforts 
and um, and focus and on the the finance side, the forecasting process. Those are probably the two biggest items that, that I would put on my hit list. Um, and I hope a year from now, when we talk again, that I can report back to you that we've uh, we've accomplished both of those. Look forward to it, Ron. Thank you for joining us again on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate it. It's Jack Sweeney with a quick note that CFO Thought Leader now has a quarterly print magazine. That's right, print. Each issue will profile 25 different CFOs. Let me repeat that, 25 CFOs. Other uh, print publications are lucky if they're able to bring you five CFOs per issue. What we understand is that you want to consume content in multiple ways. But wait a minute, there's something more here. We wanted this print magazine to be a podcast companion. So when you receive it, we want you to quickly thumb through it and maybe identify which episodes you have missed. We want you to dog ear those pages, as well as uh, perhaps the pages that feature CFOs from episodes you already listened to but found maybe a little extra value from. 12 months later, you will have a library of 100 CFO profiles highlighted with your insights or comments alongside the CFO thought leaders. Now, how much are we charging for this one-of-a-kind 100 CFO profile library? Annual subscriptions are $119. We think that's reasonable. We thought about it a little bit, but that's, that's what we came up with. Uh, visit us and subscribe to CFO Thought Leader magazine at cfothoughtleader.com, where the future of finance is listening.